The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. So we're reading from Philippians 1, 12 through 26. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and there all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does this matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will Continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. God bless the reading of the word. Amen. Thank you, E.K. Um, Lauren, how many slides is Philippians 4 broken up on? Can you tell me that real quick? Four slides. Oh, there's four sections. Okay, so we are going, we've been reading from Philippians 4 every week. Um, at least, actually last week we didn't because I skipped it, I think. Or was last week the day that I said, we're going to count to three, and then I just started before I even said one? Was that last week? Yeah, that was last week. All right. So uh, this week, we're going to come back to the verses that we've asked for you guys to memorize and to really let marinate into your spirit um, each and every week, which is Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And so what I'm going to ask is, is we're going to put Philippians 4, the first slide up, and you guys are going to read the first slide. You're going to read the second slide. You'll read the third slide, and then you guys get the fourth slide. There's only three? All right. So you guys get a pass. Um, So... (laughs) You guys will just get to hear the word today. You don't have to be speakers of it, okay? So here we go, guys. Get us started on the count of three. One, two, three.
And we've been focusing through Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 4, realizing that in the book of Philippians, we find one of the shortest letters in all of the scriptures written, but yet the word rejoice or to find joy is mentioned more than any other book, especially when you look at the size and the, the, the quantity of the, the, the words that Paul used to encourage a church that was new to a resurrected Jesus that was still under the persecution of the Roman empire that was still trying to make sense of rich and poor situations that that early century was finding itself in much like we are still trying to make sense of in our day and time the people that had education women being allowed to worship with men in a mixed setting for the first time in the in in this in this culture there's so many things that were happening in and around philippi that paul was saying to them look if you focus on all of your change challenges you're going to be in real trouble and so he's writing them this passionate letter of a way that they can keep their focus on Christ. And so, as Andrew referenced just a few minutes ago, we've been working with a new definition of joy, because joy isn't just happiness. Joy is so much more of a choice. It's not just the effects of us getting a raise. It's not just the effects of us finding a job. It's not just the effects of us graduating. It's not just the effects of good ice cream, right? Joy is a choice. So here's the definition that we have been working with. Joy is the discipline to maintain an eternal perspective on what is true despite current circumstances and the determined choice to praise the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. Do you see in that definition how much of that requires effort? It is not a natural response. Like if I wanted to, for some reason, just throw a football towards Adam's head, he probably would just deflect it with his hands. Like his body would immediately respond to the stimulus of a ball flying at his head. At least I would hope so, right? But for us, we need to realize that when life is coming at us, our response has got to become joy automatic. But that is not generally the automatic that happens. So the first week in this joy series, we spoke to you guys about what's stealing your joy. And we looked at the story in the Old Testament and Ginger talked us through Jeremiah and how they built a cistern. Look, they had access to fresh water and they had dug a hole in the ground and were drinking stale water, like stagnant, dirty water that was literally just dug out to collect water in. And they were choosing that over a flowing stream of water. And so often in our lives, you and I, we find something that we think will bring us joy and we put a lot of effort into it and we dig it out, but then we realize that that is not the source of joy. And then we realize how quickly what is in that cistern is nasty. And so some of the things we connected it to was financial resources. Some of us think, if I just could get more money in my paycheck, or if I just could add a comma, right, to my paycheck, or if I could just have a house, or if I just had a new car, or if I just had, and we just keep going, and then we realize once we attain that, that there's then something else that we then wish we had, and then what used to you think that you could live off, you continue to go, and so we spent this whole week talking about even how people become cisterns in our lives, where so often we want that particular person to value us 
We want, so we work our hardest to make that person love us, care for us, hear words of affirmation, and at the end of the day, most likely that person's going to fail you, and they're not going to be a fresh water source. They're going to end up becoming a cistern, and there's so many other aspects of things that we choose to do, and I would encourage you to go back if you're struggling with things stealing your joy and listening to week one. In week two, we talked about the fact that he who began a good work will complete it, and can I just hear a, a, a hearty thank God? thank God? All right, all right. There's a few of you guys that are jumping on to this like, talk back stuff. This is good. Because at the end of the day, you and I are not completed. Some of us might have just finished an education, but that does not mean the work in you is done. Just because you have now reached your first paying job where you now have all your bills in your name doesn't mean you've arrived right? Our circumstances don't dictate to us whether or not we're accomplished, because until we take our last breath, we are being molded into the image of Jesus. And there's not a human being on earth that is totally like Christ when they go to see Jesus face to face. There is a redemptive work that God is doing. And if you and I are not careful, we will allow people around us and the imperfections of them to become a distraction. But yet we realize that one of the ways that we can continue to guard joy in our life is for us to look at them and say they're under construction, for them to look at me and say he's under construction. And that's one of the best gifts that you could even give me as a pastor is realizing that I might have the opportunity to teach here frequently and to lead and guide and give direction, but I'm not finished. I'm not perfect. I... <laughs> That was a little strong, um, but for those of you that are podcasting, my wife gave a hearty amen to that. You know, but the 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 impact of us finding our identity in Christ means that we can trust Him to finish the work. But there will be moments where you feel like you are the clay on a wheel, and you're being like molded, like I'm being shaped right now, and it doesn't always feel great. It, it, it feels, you feel the tension, you feel the pain of it, but yet that means that God is going to finish the work and continue to push. And so last week, we referenced the fact that choosing joy was a reckless love. How much God has worked in us. Paul was talking to this church about the fact that God is his witness. Jesus is the reason why he can love them well. And he was in prison. He had been flogged. He had been beaten. He had been run out of town and now was trying to write letters back to this church. And he's letting them know that my circumstances are not why I love you well. Jesus is why I love you well. It's his love that is now flowing through me to you because if it was up to me and my circumstances, you would get nothing, right? When you feel the weight of the world on you and you're feeling the darkness of sin and brokenness around you, Generally, our response isn't to love well, but when that happens, we have tied in to the throne room of God where joy is the language of eternity. Joy is what is happening, and it's not just the singing and the dancing. It's, it's, the, it's the food, it's the fellowship, it's the perfection. I once was doing a teaching when we were meeting in the life of Riley's Irish pub about 11 years ago when there was a small group of people and this chef in the community and his wife were coming to church and we had been talking about eternity and one of the guests that was with me, one of my mentors, was sharing and she was like, I don't want to go to heaven. 
And she's like, because th- the Bible says that we're not husbands and wife in heaven, and I love my husband, and I don't want to be in eternity with my husband if, if, it's, if it's not going to be him and me forever. And I, and I was taken back, and I was like, like, Spirit, how do we respond to this? And then the words that came to me is this. When we get to eternity, our relationships are going to be perfect. Perfect. We're never going to get angry with each other. We're never going to be disappointed. We're never going to be let down. We are going to experience the joy overflowing when we get a chance to see Christ face to face. So we spent a ton of time this morning reviewing, and I don't want to take away from this, but I just want to pray because today, as we look at this particular passage of Scripture, and we realize that we have to learn to choose God, choose joy when we're waiting, is a difficult choice. So let me pray for us. Father, I just ask in Jesus' name, that right now that you would allow the work of your spirit to help us to trust you when we're in your hands, to trust you when it seems dark, to trust you when things are difficult. And Father, I ask in Christ's name that we would learn to reach for joy as an automatic response to the circumstances that come our way. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Because um, Ginger, my wife, many of you may not know her, she's going to explain to us a little bit more about what it looks like for us to find Christ in the waiting. And here, let me do that for you just for a moment. This might, this might not work. Um, but th- this particular teaching for her has been quite a joyous journey, but yet a hard one, because she's talking to you about what she's experienced this last year. Um, you can't even um, probably let yourself fully get into her shoes unless you can connect with painful seasons in your own life. So this teaching is coming out of the overflow of how she's experienced Christ. And so I'm praying for the Lord to give you strength to get through it because I know that this is going to be painful. So I was... Um I was going to say I'm really excited to be with you and to teach today, but the truth is, and my kids would probably agree, I need to just get this out and over and share it and, and be able to move on and enjoy my family. We kind of had a belated Mother's Day yesterday because of what Sunday looked like last week, and then my mom was able to be with us, so we celebrated yesterday. And so um, anyway, I'm just um, thankful for the opportunity to share, and I know that we kind of already talked for a while um, and I'm not throwing Ellis under the bus, but we need to jump right in. So um, we have been going through the book of Philippians, and I think he's kind of already said, we, we understand that Paul is writing from a place of um, uh, he's in chains, he's in prison, he's waiting. And so today we're going to focus on what joy looks like, choosing joy in the waiting, um, he, as he's writing this book that's so rich in joy and full of joy, um, he's in a place of lots of uncertainty. He doesn't know what the next day is going to hold. He has no idea if he's going to be called to trial. He's waiting. Remember, we've talked about Paul to ad nauseum, right, with going through Acts and now in Philippians, but he's waiting. He's very uncertain and doesn't know how long this wait is going to be and what his fate's going to be. So... We ask ourselves, you know, I I like to ask a lot of questions. Again, my children would say, yes, she asks a lot of questions. But how is joy even possible in such a desperate situation? And so this morning I want to 
um, propose, I believe that the answer lies in Paul's focus. Now, I know a few weeks ago we talked about the difference between glancing at our problems and gazing at Jesus, but this is a little bit different. In today's scripture, we hear Paul update his friends about his circumstances, and I would guess that many of you could um, find yourself in his shoes. But even in saying that, many of you are like, no, 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 I'm not in jail, not in prison, life doesn't look like that. But how many of you would say that you too are in a place of waiting? You're stuck waiting. Maybe your situation is extremely uncomfortable. There's so much uncertainty, you have no idea what your future holds. And so instead of saying, I can't relate to Paul, he's superhuman, he's in the Bible, I want to ask that you find yourself, relate to what Paul's walking through, and let's see if we can learn something from him this morning. Um, I wanted to glance back at the scriptures and highlight a few things, um, but I think for time's sake, I'm not going to reread what we've already read. But in, when you're looking like at verses 12 through 18, I think that what stands out the most to me is that Paul is extremely, he seems to be um, confident in knowing where he's headed and why he's headed in that direction. Um, but when you and I are caught in situations where we're waiting, we often ask ourselves questions. And I think questions are okay. It often lets us know where our thoughts are and where our focus is. Um, Some of those questions are like, why in the world am I here? Why do I have to go through this? Why did this happen to me? I don't believe Paul's story is any different. And so my goal here is not to make Paul... Um, not a hero of the faith, but I just want to make sure that we remember his humanity. We, aren't, we, we haven't been privy to all that's going on in his mind as he's wrestling through what his circumstances really are. Yes, there are letters that he's written, but do we know all that he wrestled through before those letters were penned? We don't. He's human. He's waiting He has feelings, feelings. He has to have feelings of fear. And God, I'm trying to trust you, but... But I also think life experience helped him to prepare for such a time as this. I think, though, it's evident through these scriptures that one of the questions that he was asking, if you give me a little bit of leeway and a summary, was a very extraordinary question, and it was this. How can the name of Jesus be known? And how can God be honored while I'm stuck in this waiting room? You know, this is very different from how we approach a difficult circumstance, a situation. I don't know about you, but with me, like, you know, I'm not immediately thinking, oh, God, be honored in it. I'm thinking, oh, God, free me from this, right? But often, as we're walking through this, these hard times, we forget the eternal perspective, which is necessary in order to choose joy. So to remind you of that definition of joy, it's the discipline to maintain perspective on what is true despite current circumstances 
And then the determined choice to praise the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. Um, In verses 19 through 26, uh, again, we see some confidence. He says, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit, that what has happened to me will be, I'll be okay. It'll it'll turn out for my deliverance. But he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He's facing that reality. He goes on to say, for to me, to live is Christ but to die is gain. He's wrestling through the knowledge, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. He's waiting and his future is uncertain. But he has come to a place of confidence and contentment. Yes, I'm being redundant. I hope that you're hearing me. That he knows that whatever happens, he will be all right. Now that verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, is so popular and famous. People have taught so many sermons on this and written books. But what does it really mean? For to me, to live is Christ. What are some ways that people would answer to live is blank? Let's not rush past this. Often our lives are focused Here's the word focus. Often our lives are focused on something else, like success in our jobs, our wealth, maybe paying off debt, prestige, sports, entertainment, recreation, and happiness. But how would you answer this morning if you were being honest? To live is blank. Paul's life is focused on helping others to see Jesus Christ. And I think this is key. Paul found purpose in his waiting. Purpose in his struggles and in his suffering. He wasn't going to let it go wasted. Instead, Paul's focus was on Jesus, on finding contentment in him and looking for where he was working in and through the situation. Ultimately, as I shared, his purpose was to make Jesus known and to honor God while he was stuck in the waiting. And in the midst of it, Paul realized that he could use his suffering to share the gospel, as well as to encourage others who were also suffering. Paul is an outstanding example of not only of joy no matter what the circumstance. Again, he's not perfect. He's not superhuman. I'm sure he struggled like you and I. But he's also a great example of waiting well, which is what we're talking about today, how to choose joy in the waiting we, I feel like as a church family, we talk a lot about waiting because we focus on that during the Advent season, on what it means to be waiting and, and hopeful and watching. Um, and we are always Advent people, which who wants to be an Advent person? We want to be done with the waiting, right? We want the work to be complete. We want all things to be made new. Waiting is especially hard when, um, the, depending on the object of your wait, whatever you're waiting on, it really can cause us to have um, to, to struggle and test in our faith and what we really believe. It's especially difficult when there are no guarantees that the waiting 
will ever end in our lifetime. And that's a tough statement to make and to say, but it's true. Desires that we long for, prayers that we've been praying, and news that we're waiting to hear. We can become impatient and discouraged and, of course, consumed with worry. But the worst that can happen to us is that we really begin to wonder, does God even really care? And we don't even know if it's worth it to stay in the fight, in the struggle of our faith. And that's real, a real struggle. Um, we've referenced James chapter 1 many times, and I'm hoping that we're going to come back to that in about two weeks. But um, James says that in our tough times, that when we're under pressure, when we're stuck in the waiting, this is what happens according to the message version. Our faith life is forced into the open, and it shows its true colors. Our faith life is forced into the ocean, into the open, not into the ocean, that would be amazing, Our faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. That's a daunting thought, isn't it? But listen to this. Catch this. No matter what you say you believe or what others think you believe, there's no hiding or pretending when the bottom falls out. It is what it is. All is exposed when you've lost your job, when you receive that dreaded diagnosis, when a loved one dies, when your finances collapse, when your kids decide to make a mess out of their lives, when someone goes to prison, or a mental illness destroys a relationship. Whatever the circumstances that I'm stuck in and I'm waiting to be delivered from, The faith life that I claim to have, it's revealed in those moments. And not to God. He already knows my heart. But it's revealed to me, my true colors. They can't be hidden anymore under the Sunday smiles and the nice handshakes to your neighbor. You know what's really going on inside. And suddenly what has lurked below the waterline of my soul is uncovered. And all my great statements of faith are worthless. You know, sometimes we have that reaction to what's going on in our lives, and we don't like our reaction. We're actually embarrassed by it. We're ashamed. Like, I thought I was a better Christian than that. I thought my faith was deeper than that. Please don't feel shame or guilt. Brother and sister, we are human, and the Lord loves us anyway. But when we're exposed or see those holes in our faith, it just gives us a a glimpse of ways that we can grow and change and mature. So don't be downhearted about that. Another thing happens is our faith life is exposed, and this is tough, but a watching world gets to see what believing in God really means. There are some churches and belief systems that tell you that when you start following Christ that everything is going to be peachy, like a red carpet is going to be rolled out for you, and you're going to have so much prosperity. But that is not what we see in scriptures. We see people, as they chose to follow Jesus, had to walk through some difficult circumstances. 
When Jesus tells us we have to take up our cross, taking up our cross is a difficult thing every day, and we're called to do that. But when the sky falls in and we're thrown into chaos, our faith life is suddenly on display for everyone to see. Our neighbors, our friends, our unbelieving family, our children, our co-workers, they see it. Frederick Nietzsche, and I don't know how to say his name, so forgive me, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, commenting on the Christians that he knew, he said, I, believe, I would believe in their salvation if they looked a little more like people who have been saved. Isn't that true, family? And I think that's why we as a leadership keep saying we need to experience joy. And we want it to come and to be expressed through our facial expressions and through our actions and through the way we interact with worship and singing and dancing. But it's so much more than that. The world around us, they're watching because they're curious. And often, I don't really believe it's because they're trying to be critical. I do know that happens and that they're just waiting for you to mess up so they can judge you. But I believe that the majority of the people that are watching us, they just really want to know, what does a person who goes to church every week do when bad stuff happens to her? They really just want to know. How does a Christian respond to this kind of situation? They genuinely want to know if being a Christian makes a practical difference in our lives. When we react exactly the same way they would in a crisis, I mean, what do you expect them to think? They would think to themselves, why in the world would I need her God? Right? Again, I'm not sharing this with you to shame you. I just want us to become aware of how important it is that we work through these things and remember the truth that is the same no matter what circumstances we are walking through. And we have to ask ourselves this important question. If being a Christian makes no difference in the way we respond to trials and difficult circumstances, what good is our faith? Family, we have gained, what have we gained, sorry, what have we gained by going to church every weekend, by attending Bible study after Bible study, by memorizing scripture. And some of you, like me, who like to post them in your home or on your mirror, what good does it do if we're singing these songs and raising our hands in worship to God? If when the trouble comes, we're just like everybody else. I'm close to finishing, I promise. This takes us back to the image of our parallel train tracks, the train tracks of sorrow and joy. When trials expose our faith life, will others see us embracing both the joy and the pain? They need to. It's really important. We don't need to live out one and to deny the other. Those around us need to recognize that both of these elements are a part of life, joy and sorrow. And that both give us hope for heaven for a time when all will be made right. As I've shared before, um, I can definitely struggle to choose joy, especially in my my initial response to bad news. My family can tell you, which I'm sad to say, that often my first response is just to shut down. I generally want to hide away in my room and close the door, and I just need a little bit of time. Sometimes that little bit of time is a little longer than it should be, but I need to I need to just have a little bit of time. 
I mean, honestly, I would rather just hit the easy button. And I've talked about that for a long time. As as long as Staples has had it out there, I've wanted that easy button. Um, Because I don't want to walk through it. Just being honest with you, and I hope you're connecting with me. You know, I, I just feel like, God, I don't want to do this. Or, God, I don't want to face this. But saying that doesn't change the fact that I'm going to have to walk through it. And I'm going to have to face it. And honestly, and I'm just being real with you this morning, we just went through the James passage. Who really cares about perseverance when your world is falling apart? Who really cares that walking through this trial is going to mature your faith? But it does, and it will. I've never had to wrestle through this more than this past year. And as most of you know, uh, my, dad, my dad passed away this past summer. But as a family, it wasn't just that that we were dealing with. There was so much more. And it just felt like um, it wasn't going to be possible to survive. Talk about your faith life being exposed. But this was the time. This was the time to live out everything I had been taught, everything I had learned. My mom and my dad even had a conversation. My dad led worship at our home church. For the majority of the years, he was part-time. He worked as an engineer in the Virginia Department of Transportation. And then as he got older and retired, the Lord allowed him to actually take on this role, which was his love as a worship pastor full-time. But my mom and dad had a conversation. Mom, I think, was the one that said it. You know, well, honey, we've been singing these songs all of these years. Now we've got to live them. We've got to live them. I learned so much through this time about myself and about joy. Um, And I've realized, and this might sound silly, but I realized that ignoring reality does not breed joy. We have to walk through what the reality of our life is. We have to put one foot in front of the other every single day. But joy says, even so, I have reason to celebrate. Um, I think we have two pictures of um, that I want to share, and I'm I'm know I'm emotional, and I'm going to try to get through it. So the one on the right actually um, is the first one I want you to notice, and this was soon after my dad. Um, the, the, I'm sorry, let me start again. The one on the right was a day or two, literally after my dad had had a brain tumor removed from his brain. He literally had had brain surgery. Um, Talk about scary when your dad, who you've leaned on for strength, um, can't even say his name clearly. So he had, I think it's aphasia, I might be saying the name, the word wrong, but he could think it in his head, he couldn't speak it. So frustrating. But you know what he's doing? Do you see his finger up in the air? You know what's going on in that ICU room where we're not even sure what his... The end result is going to be for him. There's worship music going, and he's praising the Lord with his finger. And I share this with you not for pity. I share it with you because this helped me know how to respond in this difficult circumstance. 
The one on the left side is him closer to the end of his death, to the end of his time. You can see the scar on his head there. Um, And also, you can't see it, but there's a song playing in the background. It's one of his favorites. It's called, Lord, You're Holy. And he's raising his hand in worship. One of the most beautiful things about this season for my family, again, I tell you, my dad did gain some of his speech back. But then, of course, it started to decline again. He had what's called the geoblastoma, GBM, so it grew back. And so what he had gained, he then lost. Um, but when he couldn't speak, do you know what, he could, what could come out of his mouth? Words of praise. Worship. And I'm sharing this with you because even near the end, when my dad wasn't fully my dad... He didn't even really necessarily, I was talking about with my kids, he wasn't even necessarily choosing joy because he didn't have the capacity to understand. But what was still coming out of him was who he was and what he had been all about. For to me, to live is Christ. That's what came out of him. Behind my dad sitting in that chair is my mom with her hands. Well, she had moved her hands by that part of the video. But she was there singing and worshiping with him. And I just want to say that my mom did the same in praising and worshiping through the difficulties. Now, again, we didn't do that every day in the sense there were hard times when we didn't want to sing. This is my mom's mug, one she has similar. And she will tell you the story that she would come and drink her coffee. It says, joy comes in the morning. She'd pick it up, and sometimes she would say, nope, not today. Nope, not today, but in my new understanding of joy. You were choosing joy, Mom, every single day, and I'm proud of you. So let me wrap this up. Sometimes in the midst of suffering and in deep despair and in death and in loss, and we can take that off the screen, um, it can feel irresponsible and frivolous to have joy. And again, like we haven't had joy models. I don't think we've had it modeled for how to grieve. And I think that's why it's complicated to understand where joy fits in with grief. Right? But yet we're called to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There is a time to grieve. There is a time to mourn and to wail and to sigh. And we did. And you need to. There's a time to know our loss, but that doesn't mean we can't have joy, even in that painful knowing. Joy is the heartbeat of the kingdom of God. It is what sustained us. It is our strength because, remember, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's nothing that we can make up for ourselves. And we can be filled with the expectation of good things. Psalm 27, 13, and 14 are one of my, some of my favorite scriptures. They say this, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. We can have joy in the midst of the lamentation of our lives. Joy alongside sorrow in the midst of feeling like we're stuck in a reality that we would never choose for ourselves. So in closing, like Paul Many of you are stuck in the waiting. Your present situation is more than uncomfortable. It is unbearable, and your future is uncertain. But as we wait, 
we find peace in God's plans and hope in his pauses. And our focus, it moves from the object of our weight to the person of our faith. And that's where we find joy. That's how we choose joy. So I want to ask some closing questions, and we're not going to sit on them. I want you to take them home and sit before the Lord. We're getting ready to sing and close here in just a minute. But the first question I want you to ask yourself is, how can I make the name of Jesus be known even now? Even with what I'm walking through, how can I make the name of Jesus be known? Number two, how can God be honored while I am stuck in this waiting room? Number three, where can I see God's goodness? This is so important. Where can I see God's goodness and reasons to celebrate as I wait to be delivered from these circumstances? Because Joy says, even so, I have reason to celebrate. And then lastly, where is your focus? Can you give purpose to your suffering? That's a hard question, and I don't mean it disrespectful in any way. I'm asking myself this and what I learned from my own experience. So I don't want you to fill in the blanks. For blank, I want you to put your name in the blank. To live is blank. So I would fill this out for Ginger. To live is blank. Personalize that this morning, and let's choose joy in the waiting.